better. Thank you for moving. You had your stuff all settled. I appreciate you doing that. Um, that was a great lesson. I mean, a great song to set up the lesson. The title of the lesson today is Wealthy. And uh, do you have the clicker there? Did I leave it over there? Have you ever lost something of value? Uh, maybe it was uh, your kid. Somebody said your kid. That's very valuable. I was going to say, like, your favorite sweatshirt or something. I lost my favorite sweatshirt recently. I was like, oh, I like that sweatshirt. Left it at the YMCA. Maybe your iPhone. Um, my daughter and I, uh, She, she's uh, seven years old, going to be uh, eight this summer. And she, um, we have a, what we call a special time together every week. I kind of do that with each of my kids where I have some time with just them. And so she's gotten a gift card for Build-A-Bear, $25 at Build-A-Bear she got for a birthday or something. So she kept asking, when can we go on a special time and go to Build-A-Bear? So, you know, a few weeks went by, it was hard to make the time. So finally we, we did it, we went, you know, it was kind of all set up, we're going to go to Build-A-Bear today. We went there, she spent about an hour looking out, you know, $25 worth of stuff. And, if, you know, Build-A-Bear kind of goes against everything I believe in in terms of cheapness and value, you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's like $8 for a little piece of plastic at Build-A-Bear, you know, but, but it's like, oh, well, it's, you know, it's her gift card, and, and uh, she's excited, she's happy, so she's got all these little, she decided again, she was trying these different, just want this bear or that bear, uh, you know, the rainbow bear, the chocolate bear, the, you know, all these different ones, and she she just wanted, she already has like four Build-A-Bears, so she wanted accessories for the, her already existing Build-A-Bears. So she had it all together, we get there to the uh, counter, and she gets her gift card out, and all she has is the top of the gift card. You know how that's like a tear-off? And, and, and I saw it when we went into the store, you know, I know she had it. And so I'm like, oh. So we're looking all over the store, I mean, looking everywhere, we got the employees helping us, we're trying to find this card, and I'm... I'm feeling in my heart just like angry at that person that found that gift card and just, how could you do this to my little daughter? You know, take her gift card. And, um, you know, she is just distraught. I mean, she's just so upset. And so then I'm thinking, well, maybe, actually, maybe, uh, last time I saw it was actually when we were in the car. So maybe it's in the car. So I told the clerk, you know, here's my information. Here's my phone number if you find it. I'm just, I'm irritated. And, uh, you know, we'll go out to the car. And, you know, for the mall, just to get back to the car, it takes a really long time. So by the time we got back to the car, we searched the whole car. It wasn't there. And then we had to go. We had to be somewhere. So we had to give up. And, and, and so in my heart, I'm like, so should I, should I cough up my own $25 for all that stuff? It's like, I, it's like I would do anything for my daughter. But, you know, on the other hand, it's kind of a good lesson for her, you know, in terms of... <laughs> In terms of, you know, experiencing loss and being able to, you know, she's just sobbing and she's so upset. But, you know, she just, it was good for her heart in that she kind of worked through it, you know, and she sort of surrendered in her heart, you know, and, okay, you know, uh, the, you know, it's, 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 it's lost, you know, whatever. So I'm like, okay, in my mind I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to take her to build a bear, you know, in a week or two. And then about a week later we get a call and they found it, you know, they were going through the, uh, the bin full of, Build-A-Bears, and they found this card, and they were like, wow, I can't believe this never happens, because she and I had prayed about it, and so, you know, that was encouraging. But, you know, the whole thing just reminded me of how money and, and possessions just can, can bring sometimes distress to our lives, you know. 
there was so much emotion involved with this gift card. I was angry. I was frustrated. I was wondering what what to do. I'm wrestling with it. She was she was so excited, and then she was so sad. And you know what I mean? And we've all kind of experiences the experienced those types of money issues. You know what? What should I spend? How much should I spend? And, and the ups and downs of of just monetary stuff, right? We've all been there. Uh, maybe experiencing large losses, you know, with the, with the, the, the crisis that the, that the country's been in recently or, or, or just the ups and downs of it. And, and so we're going to be talking today about how does God view wealth or what is, what is wealth in terms of God's currency? How does Jesus view wealth? What's his value system? Um, just backing up a little bit, we're starting a series today called Unroll the Scroll. Isn't that kind of a cool, compelling title? Unroll the Scroll. And uh, what this is, is it's a look at Jesus' first public sermon, you know, the first recorded sermon, where uh, we, we know what he talked about. And this is in Luke 4. If you go ahead and be turning over there, I'm going to say a word of prayer, and then we'll get into the scripture. God, please uh, help us to open our minds, open our hearts to what you have to say to us through your word. God, I pray that you would speak. Uh, God, it wouldn't be me speaking, but the Holy Spirit would really speak to us. Help our hearts to be open. Help us to be ready to be called higher. As, as a con said, help us to, to just want to be changed, to want to be uh, more for you. And uh, God, I pray you bless this time. Thank you for this fellowship. Thank you for the, uh, the opportunity to get to look into your scriptures publicly like this. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in Luke 4, uh, where we are kind of time-wise, uh, in, in the book of Luke, Luke records the story of his birth that we all probably know from the Christmas season, you know, that, that Luke story is read a lot. Then Luke records the story of his baptism, which is kind of like his, his public beginning of his ministry. He goes down to Judea. He grew up in Nazareth, which was uh, 100 miles or so north of Jerusalem, but he comes down to the Judea area and is baptized by John. Then he goes out to the desert and he goes through that time of testing where he's, he, he's being tested by Satan. And then at the end of that, he comes back to his hometown and that's where we pick it up with the story here in Luke 4. It says, He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. So the scroll of Isaiah, what this is, is the, the, the Old Testament documents, the Torah, uh, in synagogue, they were expensive. Most people didn't have their own copies. So what the synagogue was, was a place where you would go to be able to read God's word or hear God's word read. And so they had a bunch of copies of of these uh, of these books, and uh, even you know, if you're visiting with us, uh, we used to. This is our. We've just moved to this home, but we were before this. We were meeting at a Jewish synagogue, and uh, you guys remember that big box that was on the wall, kind of hanging there. That that's what they. What that represents is they would have a box that had all the scrolls in it, and so they would take a scroll out. And Isaiah is is a book that one of the larger books of the Old Testament that was written by this prophet. And it was about 750 years before Jesus. So he's reading a scroll, a document that, that was written about 750 years earlier. And this is what he reads. He finds this place and, and reads this. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then a little bit, uh, then it says, Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture 
is fulfilled in your hearing. Wouldn't that have been cool to be there? You know, Jesus reads this and says, today, this is all coming to fruition right now. This was written 750 years ago. Right now, this is happening. And and, uh, Jesus understood what he was a part of and that he was a fulfillment of all that the prophets had had foretold would happen. And there's a few things we're going to be looking at in this uh, passage over the next several weeks. The first thing he says is, I've come to proclaim good news to the poor. And that's today's lesson. We've given it the title, Wealthy. Then he says, he sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. And and we're going to call that lesson Unlocked. That will be next week. And actually all the other churches of of the coastal LA region will join us next week. And we'll be talking about uh, being able to proclaim freedom for prisoners even around the globe. Uh, The next one he says is recovery of sight for the blind. We're going to call that vision. And the last, uh, uh, next one, to set the oppressed free, freedom, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, abundance. So those are the the lesson titles for the next uh, five weeks. And we're starting today with the title, Wealthy. You can be turning uh, to Luke chapter 16. We'll be uh, picking it up there here in just a minute. But as you look at those things, you know, that Jesus came to do, He came for the poor. He came for the oppressed. He came for those who are blind. You know, Jesus came to help those who need help. A few weeks ago, Marco preached about this. He said uh, that they were criticizing him because he hung out with the sinners and the tax collectors. And, and the religious people were like, Jesus is hanging out with all these losers, spiritual losers. Jesus says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. I didn't come to call the righteous, I came to call sinners. And of course, we are all sinners, Right? But Jesus is here to help those who need His help. Here, those who are weak, those who are imprisoned, those who are oppressed. If you think you've got everything together, Jesus is probably not for you. And the fact is, you probably really don't have everything together, right? But so many of us can think we do. We cannot. Sometimes we don't really see our need for God. I think a lot of us, we just kind of go through the hustle and bustle of life and we don't really stop to think, think see our spiritual condition and how much we need Him. Why do you need God? Well, we all need forgiveness. We all need a purpose in life. We all need a reason for living. We all face death. Death comes to every man and there is something beyond it. And so we need God. Even if you just look at only that alone. We all have a vacancy in our heart, if we're really honest, that only God can fill. You know, for myself, I I feel spiritually poor often. You know, there's many times I just feel weak. I feel like my heart is wicked. I feel like, God, why do I keep wrestling with the same temptations? You know, why, why can't I move past this? Uh, you know, sometimes I feel like, like, man, I should be farther along at this stage in life. I've been a Christian, you know, 20 plus years. I should, I just feel weak. I feel so often like, I need God. I am desperate for God. I feel almost always like, help me, God. Help me with my pride. Help me with my selfishness. Help me with my uh, faithlessness. Help me with my lust. Help me with my lack of faith. And, and, and you know what? I think it's almost good for me to be there. You know, Paul says, when I'm weak, I'm strong. I'm going to boast in my weakness because that's, what, that's my proper place. I do need God. Jesus told a story one time of two men who went to pray. And one man goes to pray and says, oh, God, I thank you that... I'm not like that sinner over there and I've got it together and I do this right and I do that right and I'm so glad that I'm, I'm doing well. And the other guy's like, oh God, help me, I'm a sinner, I need your forgiveness. 
And Jesus says that's the guy that was justified. That's the, the prayer that God's looking for. Jesus came to help those who are spiritually weak. He came to help the poor. He came to preach good news for the poor. And so I appeal to you to, to, to open up a little bit. You know, see your need for God. Let down your defenses. Be honest. You do need God. We, we live in a wicked world that beats us up. And we need help. We need God. And Jesus' message is good news. It's not a downer. It's not a bunch of, you can't do this and you can't do that, and you don't get to do this. And you, don't get, you know, I think Satan tries to make it look like that sometimes. Jesus' message is good news. Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it to the full. Another translation says, abundantly. Jesus came to give us good news. And we've got to remember that. What do you think that means, good news for the poor? Jesus came to give good news to the poor. You know, I, I, I don't think he means I came to give them a lot of riches in this world, because that's certainly not what he did. He lived poor himself. What did, what did he mean by that? And, and we're going to kind of examine that today. What does it mean to be wealthy spiritually? What does it mean to be poor spiritually? When you look throughout Jesus' teaching, he's constantly, he uses this idea of wealth a lot. And, and, and he's constantly looking at the value system of the world and kind of turning on its head the things that we value. And, and so I want to look through a few of his teachings. We're going to be kind of camping in Luke 16 here in a minute, but just on the screen, I'm going to show you. A few other things as we go through Luke that you see. First of all, he says uh, in Luke 6, looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil. Because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. Jesus says a lot of things like this. The, the word blessed, uh, the Greek word is uh, makarios. Makarios. And it means how lucky you are. You are so lucky when you lose your gift card. You know, you are so lucky when you when everything goes wrong. You are so lucky when you're poor. You're so lucky when you're hungry. You're so lucky when you weep. You're so lucky when people hate you and they, they reject you. and they. I mean, it doesn't really make sense to us, does it? He's turning the world's value system on its head. Uh, look what he, he says a little bit farther. He says, but woe to you who are rich, for you've already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now. For you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. We've all seen this, this divide between the rich and poor in, in our country. And it seems like it, it gets worse, or it's always talked about in the media. Uh, you know, we've, we've all probably been, if we're honest, we've all probably been guilty of envying the wealthy. Of envying those who have more than we do, are wanting to, to get forward. You know, watching this financial crisis happen, I know for me, um, I was in the tech industry during most of the 90s. I, I worked uh, for, a, for a, a tech company, and that was the days of the Internet bubble. You guys remember that? when everybody and, and everybody's watching stocks on their computers all day long, you know, all my coworkers. And I remember feeling like, man, I feel like I'm kind of missing out, you know, like I'm not really doing that. 
I feel like I'm just too busy living life, but maybe I'm kind of missing out. I could be making all this money. And then that kind of crashed, and then everybody starts doing the same thing, but with houses. You know, and everybody's buying houses and flipping houses, and there's all these TV shows, flip that house, and, you know, everybody's investing in real estate, and, you know, I had friends who were, like, going to Vegas and buying houses, and going to, going to Atlanta and buying houses, and trying to, and I, I remember feeling like, man, maybe I'm missing out on this gravy train. And, you know, we all saw it. I mean, people were consumed with this stuff. And, and, and really the financial crisis happened, if, if you study it, because of greed. I mean, from the very bottom of the chain to the very top of the chain, everybody was greedy. I mean, there, I'm sure there were some people who were innocent and all, but people were trying, I, I, I gotta keep up, I gotta keep up, and I, you know, and, well, they're giving these, if we don't give these types of loans, that house over there, they're giving these types of loans, so we gotta keep up with them. And, okay, well, we gotta give even more crazy loans over here, so we can keep up with them, and then, uh, you know, and then, you know what I'm saying? And then it all just was a house of cards and just came down with a crash. And then people are still all upset because, but the bankers, they didn't, all of, us, all of us suffered, but the bankers, they still made all this money and that's not right. And so then you have, you know, the Occupy Wall Street movement and all these people, it's not fair, they have all this money and we don't have money and, you know, and just all this, you know, you've been caught up in that a little bit maybe sometimes or at least envying the, the, those that have it all together. And Jesus just takes that whole system and he turns it all on its head. It was the same back then. You had the rich and you had the poor. In fact, half of the Roman Empire was slaves. Most, you know, they, they say more than half of the Christians probably were slaves. That, that was the way it was then. There was, there was those that had and those that had not. Jesus says, you're so lucky when you don't have anything. You're so lucky. The, the rich have got a hard time. What was he trying to say? This is convicting stuff, isn't it? I think some of us like to think that, we're ri- that we are, are poor. But, you know, if you look at the world globally, we're, we're pretty rich. I mean, so many people don't have access to drinking water. So many people will never even ride in a car, much less own one. Uh, we just have so many things that we have. I, I, uh, I saw kind of a funny quote from Rick Santorum. You know, I've been watching the different... I, I just, I'm not real into politics, but I like watching it, all the process happening. But Rick Santorum had a quote this week. He said, I don't have wealth because his tax return came out. And he made uh, like 900,000 last year and 1.1 million the year before and 850,000 the year before that. And he said that that quote said, I don't have wealth. That's so funny, you know. Why? Why do you say that? Because of perspective. Because he's comparing himself with Mitt Romney who has way, 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 you know, multiple, multiple, multiple times more than he does. And we all do that. We all say, I don't have wealth. Because we compare ourselves with the people that have it, right? And I don't think it's so much a condemnation of wealth that Jesus is talking about. I think it's more of what are we looking to for security? Where are we putting our treasure? What are we investing in? What do we assign value to? Again, he takes our worldly value system and he turns it on its head. Look at some more scriptures here. Luke 9, he says to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? You know, the dreams that people chase after. If you gain the entire world, it's planet Brian Craig. And yet you lose your soul. It's, it's worthless. Luke 9.48 It is the one who is the least among you all who is the greatest. 
Luke 12, 14, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. That's what the world tries to say. This is living. I remember seeing uh, when the, the, the uh, Donald Trump show, uh, The Apprentice, was first coming out. They were talking about how it would work and this person would be his, become his apprentice. And he said something like, you will know what it's like to truly live or something like that. True living. I just remember him saying that. And then going, that's not true living. Jesus says, that's not life. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Luke 12, do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after all such things. Your Father knows you need them. But seek His kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions. Give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out a treasure in heaven that will never Fail. Where no thief comes near, no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Again, he's, he's turning this value system on its head. Uh, we don't have time to read all of this, but in Luke 14, he's talking about giving. And, 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 and at the end of this, he says, you know, give to, he says, don't give to people who will repay you. Give to people who there's no way they could repay you. And he says, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Luke 14, a little bit later, he says, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be disciples. Uh, Luke 15 are the stories of what he values, uh, what God values, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. And then we come to Luke 16 and verse 9. Let's all read here. It says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself, so when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Don't you see this? All throughout Luke, Jesus is saying kind of the same thing again and again and again. That there's a bigger picture than this world and the things that this world values. And he says that this is kind of a testing ground here. How you handle what you have here has some impact in the next life. Jesus says these things about investing in the next life. Give now so that then you'll be repaid then. Uh, store up treasure in heaven by giving here. You know, these different things that Jesus, I think, he just saw the big picture and he knew that what we do here totally affects what's coming. And, and he says we've got to be trustworthy with worldly wealth. It's not wrong to be wealthy, but it's how you view those possessions, how you treat those possessions, what you do with those possessions that affects the next life. And we've got to be trustworthy so we, will, we can have true riches. And then the Pharisees get offended by this. Well, he says, you cannot serve both God and money. What a powerful statement. You can't have two masters. You've got to have one. You, one is the boss. You ever, tried to, you ever been in a job where you had several bosses and you're trying to kind of juggle them? and It's, it's really difficult. It doesn't really work. You've got to have one person you report to. And Jesus says, you can't serve money and God. It's one or the other. In verse 14, the Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, you are the ones who justify yourself in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. Wow, that's a scary scripture. Could that that be said of me that I love money? 
I mean, I like money. Do you know what I mean? If I'm honest, I like stuff. Don't you? Uh, you know, my, my old job, I, th- there were times, I, I was a, a marketing manager, a, a, a product manager, and so, you know, you got the vendors that are trying to win your business, and so they would take me and wine me and dine me, and I kind of liked that, you know? Going to a nice, expensive restaurant and getting stuff, and, uh, I, you know, I got paid pretty well. I liked that. You know, when I, when I went into the ministry, it was like, oh, that's going to be a lot less money, <laughs> you know? And I, cause I liked, I liked it. I remember one time, uh, going up to Microsoft in, in Seattle and, and, uh, somebody, a limo driver met me at the airport with my name on a, on a sign. And I was like, wow, I always wondered who those people are. <laughs> you know, that's me now. You know, my name's on the sign and I ride in a limo. This is awesome. You know, I kind of like that stuff. And, and, you know, the last several years we live, we live in, in Torrance. We live kind of at the bottom of, of this hill called Palos Verdes, but, you know, right, right by our house, there's all these houses that kind of overlook my section of houses. You know what I mean? In Walteria, it's like my section of houses, and then these other houses that kind of look down on them, you know? And sometimes I wonder, wait, what would it be like to be up there, you know? What would it be like to have more of a yard, or to have this, or to have that? Or... And yet, you know, sometimes I can value what the world values. Like, I, I want security, I want leisure, I want comfort, I, I want a vacation, you know? And yet, Jesus says what, the, what people value highly is detestable in God's sight. Wow, that is, that is challenging. And then, from, right from here, Jesus tells a story. And it's the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And, and it's, a, it's a powerful story. And rather than read it to you, I'm, I'm going to show a video that, that was made of this story. And it's, it's pretty true to the text. If you'd like, you can go ahead and follow along in your, in your Bible right there in Luke 16, where we left off. And we'll watch it together, and then I'll, I'll, I'll have a few more comments. But uh, as you watch this video, I want you to kind of open your mind, open your eyes to why did Jesus choose this story? Why did he use these characters? Remember the context we're in. He's talking to the Pharisees who love money. He, he's talking about this value. Good news to the poor. How is this good news? Well, first of all, I mean, we live in a world where everybody wants to be the rich guy. And the rich guys win. And this story, you know, the, the poor guy, I studied this out, but uh, the word Lazarus, or the name Lazarus, means God is my help. God is my help. Lazarus is the hero. The rich man, we don't even know his name. And, and when I see the story, man, I want to be that guy. I want to be the rich, I want to be the poor guy. I don't want to be the rich guy, don't you? He's the hero. The rich man wasn't thinking about anything except here and now and just, just kind of going through his day, going through his life. He's kind of annoyed by this poor man, doesn't really even pay much attention. He's just busy with his life. And I just think that is how so much of the world is. And that's how we can be sometimes, just kind of oblivious and caught up in the world's value system. And I think Jesus was trying to kind of shock us with this story to go, hey, there is a, there is a bigger and deeper reality. There's another form of currency out there. And, and you, you see in the story that death is the great equalizer, isn't it? I mean, death comes to every one of us. It doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter how much money you have. You see the pharaohs and how they tried to cheat death. You know, they built these huge tombs that exist to this day, but they still died. And all of us face that. And, and we're all humbled on our way out. If, if you had a, a family member die or... Or, or, or when close to someone who dies, I mean, we all are humbled. 
And we've all seen that. What we haven't seen is what lies beyond it. And Jesus is here as a representative. He's God in the flesh saying, I know what's beyond. I know what really has value. And and you've got to listen to me. And yet so few people listen to him. Because it's hard. It it is hard. It's hard to kind of see the big picture. And it's so easy to be caught up in here and now. And I think that's why he told these stories. That's why he used these metaphors and these illustrations, trying to help us see that the things the world values, God doesn't value. And for us, I think this is good news. Jesus' message is good news. Why? Because we don't have to be like the rest of the world. We don't have to keep up with everybody else. We don't have to look to all those things to fill us up because they never will. This stuff the world is chasing that we can never get enough of or never actually get to, we can just let it go. And there's, a, there's a, such a power in surrender. There's such a power in letting go of those things that, that can try to fight for our attention. In our, uh, we have a, a, a discipling group. Um, the, the, we, if you're visiting with us, we meet in small groups during the week. And um, the guys in my small group, we got together on Friday night and, and we were uh, just talking about uh, this concept a little bit. We looked at the, the Psalm 37. And if you haven't read that psalm for a while, I encourage you to really study that psalm because it really it really is what this is about. It's about making God your help. Like Lazarus, God is my help. Trust in God. It says trust in the Lord and, and, and follow his ways and, and he'll give you the desires of, of your heart. He has your best interest in mind. Trust in him. It's a psalm that was written by David, and he's, he's saying, man, the wicked, it looks like it's going well for them. One of the dads was talking about, you know, these other dads sometimes on my, on my kids' baseball team, I mean, they're smoking and they're drinking and they're cussing, and, and yet their kids are acting better than my kid. What's wrong? And we can envy the world sometimes. We can go, it looks like they, they're doing fine over there. And Psalm 37 is like, no, no, God's way works in the end. It always, always, always works in the end. If you follow God, you trust God, his way works. We've got to depend on him. God is my help. God is all we need in this life, guys. God is our help. And, and, and Paul says the light and momentary troubles that we're going through, they achieve for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. I mean, heaven is so worth it. And yet the things that people give up their faith for are, are so worthless in eternal perspective. I mean, a relationship or a job or comfort or security or uh, or sin. And yet God says it's so worth it. It's God's value system is so worth it. You know, when I see this story, I also I think about how important it is to be urgent evangelistically. You know, you see the man and he's like, man, can someone please tell my brothers? I, I, my eyes were just not open to this reality. I, I was, can somebody go tell my brothers? Please, can Lazarus go tell him? And, and it's interesting what, what Abraham says is even if someone rises from the dead, they won't listen if they're not going to listen to Moses and the prophets. If they're not going to listen to God's word. And how profound that story is that Jesus did eventually rise from the dead. And Jesus actually had a friend who was named Lazarus, who he, wrote, he rose from the dead. And that's what precipitated the, 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 the leaders saying, we've got to kill this guy, Jesus, because he just rose this guy, Lazarus, from the dead, and everybody's following him. We've got to do something about this. You know, isn't that interesting? And, but it made me think about how I've got to be more urgent. You know, I share my faith. I, I invite people to church. You know, if there's people at the YMCA that I'm inviting or neighbors that I'm inviting. But a lot of times it's, it's just kind of, Nicey, nicey. You know what I mean? Just 
ca- casually, hey, would you like to come? And it's a great church. And just all kind of, I'm just kind of a nice guy. I invite you if you want to come. Great. And, you know, but I'm not urgent enough. I, I don't, I don't think I, I'm pushing it enough. Like, this is a reality. You know, the rich man saw this is a reality. We've got to do something. In Acts 2, it talks about how Peter warned and pleaded with the people. He says, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. He warned them, he pleaded with them. And I thought, how often do I really warn and plead with people? I I think I can be more, in a spiritual sense, kind of like the rich man. Like, I've got my stuff, you know, I'm a disciple, my sins are forgiven, my life is good, my my marriage is good, my kids are good, I'm so blessed. And, And kind of walking past the poor, impoverished people at my gate that need the gospel. We've got to be more aggressive. And, and we have a great church here, and I, I'm so proud of the church. I'm so proud of you that, that have endured through ups and downs, and you're still here. We've seen other people come and go, and you're faithful to God. You, you're trusting in Him. I think you're like Lazarus. God is my help. But I, I, I charge you to be more urgent with the people that you're friends with. You know, who knows how God has been working? Who knows what God has been doing behind the scenes since you last talked to them? And have a conversation with somebody this weekend, and, and let's get... Back in the habit of sharing our faith if we haven't been in the habit. I mean, just every day, everywhere you go, just looking, what could God do through me to help somebody else to be able to know about Him? Who could I share with? Just get back in that habit of doing that if, if you're out of it. What, what, what do we have in terms of wealth in the kingdom? I mean, just a few things. This is not an exhaustive list, but I was just thinking about what we have. I mean, we have eternal security. We don't have to worry about the ups and downs of the market. We don't have to worry about, I mean, health and, and when we're going to die and all that kind of stuff. I mean, in terms of eternity, we have security in God because of Jesus on the cross for our sins. Isn't that incredible? We have our sins wiped clean. We have our guilty conscience cleansed. We have the hope of real change in our lives. We have relationships healed in the church. I mean, that's not possible in the world. You see people who haven't talked to to one another for years and years and years. And yet in the church, we can have relationships be completely healed. We have true meaning and purpose. We have no hidden life. In other words, I remember before I became a Christian where I had a hidden life and and I hope nobody knew the real me. And in the kingdom, it's like, I am who I am. You know, there's no hidden secrets. There's no, there's no dark pockets. That's such an awesome thing. People know and love the real you. There's the encouragement of others. There's the examples of others in your life. There's hope for a godly marriage. There's hope for your kids. What we have in the kingdom, it can't be broken. It can't be lost. It can't be stolen. It can't be taken from you. That is incredibly good news. The kingdom currency is a whole different set of values. Just a few practical things, and then we're going to take communion together. Count your blessings daily. You know, if, if you're if you if you feel challenged by this, if you feel like I don't I think my perspective is off, count your blessings daily. That will help you to kind of get in God's mindset. I mean, just remember what God has done. Sometimes I like to go even all the way back to creation. God, thank you for making matter and energy. You know? Thank you for 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 designing all these laws of physics. Thank you for this and that. Thank you for making the earth. Thank you for all those stars that are out there. Thank you for, and, and, you know, kind of walk through all the things you can think of that God has done. I like to walk through the Bible sometimes. Thank you for Abraham. Thank you for Isaac. Thank you for Jacob. Thank you for the way that you worked here and the way you worked there and how you brought Israel out of Egypt. And, 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 and then you kind of go into your life. Thank you for where I grew up and thank you for this person in my life and that person in my life and how you worked here and how you worked there. You do that for about 10 minutes and, and pretty soon your whole perspective changes. 
You're like, wow, God is so awesome. I have so much to be grateful for. Look for opportunities to give. I mean, everywhere you are, everything you're doing. That's what Jesus was trying to say. And, and I encourage you to go back and look through Luke 6. Because right where we left off, where he says, Bless, you know, how lucky are you when it's bad and how woe to you when everything's good. He gives a lot of real practicals. I think that's super challenging. But then you go, what do I do with that? He gives some real practicals. And basically it boils down to give. Give to others. Give to the people around you. Do things for others. Uh, give without expecting in return. Do good deeds in secret. You know, when's the last time you did something for someone else that no one knows about? Or something good for God that no one knows about? Do things in secret. It's an investment in the eternal. Dr. Carl Menninger uh, is a famous psychiatrist, and he was asked, what would you advise a person to do if he felt a nervous breakdown coming on? The doctor said, lock up your house, go across the railroad tracks, find someone in need, and do something to help that person. There is something so therapeutic about helping others. And I'm really grateful in, in Coastal LA and our family of churches here that we're, we're doing more for the poor. Uh, all the staff read a, a book last summer called Hole in Our Gospel, and we all were convicted. We, as we discussed the book, there were many tears that we've not done enough for the poor. And I really appreciate Marco and his, his leadership and just pushing the issue with the staff. We've got to get stuff in place. We've got to get stuff in place. And Steve and Jackie have been... Uh, coordinating uh, this effort and, and getting a bunch of volunteers together and, and there's champions for the poor in every group and there's champions for this project and that project. And you're you're going to be hearing a lot more about it and, and, and the idea is that every one of us would have an opportunity to share, to, to share, to give to others, to serve the poor at least once a month for a couple hours. And at the end of a year, you would have spent a whole 24 hours serving the poor. 12, 24, serve the poor. 12 times a year, uh, for, for two hours of time adds up to 24 hours. And, uh, you know, I encourage you to, to, to give, the, to do that, to do that and beyond, to continue to support the efforts of Hope Worldwide. You know, we, we do the, the, the offering once a year, uh, International Day of Giving. The goal is that each of us give at least a dollar a week to Hope, which is $52 a year. But I think so many of us can go way beyond that. We can do fundraising. We can save throughout the year. I mean, Hope is doing so much. One quick story about this, this uh, little girl here. Uh, many of us heard from some of our members that went down to Guatemala and uh, served in the community service brigades. Uh, I know Marco was talking about uh, teaching people how to brush their teeth and all that kind of stuff. And this is a story of this girl, Lizeth. Uh, She says she's a charming, intelligent, outgoing 11-year-old, despite the fact that she was unloved by her mother and given to her aunt. Prior to the Hope Worldwide Community Service Brigade's medical and dental care had never been available for Lizeth. Now, suffering with a severe toothache, she was desperate for relief. When she heard the brigade would be coming to the Guatemala City Church, her aunt accompanied Lizeth in search of relief from the terrible pain. That Saturday, little Lizeth received hope. She was so happy to see the doctors. The dentist extracted the aching tooth and the pediatrician gave her three months of vitamins. Lizeth now dreams of becoming a doctor. She shared, I want to help other people just like you helped me. Isn't that awesome that we could serve other people? Look for opportunities to give everywhere you are. Ask if anything has your heart more than God. You know, is there anything that, that has your heart? I've been studying the Old Testament and, you know, you come back and, again and again to the Ten Commandments. And, and the, the first four commandments are all about God. It's, it's, you can't have anything before God. And don't bow down to any other idols. And don't take the Lord's name in vain. You know, don't, don't take for granted what we have it's, you know, where, what is your posture before God? And is there anything that you allow 
to come between you and God and, and do something about it. Break it off. You know, let it go. Surrender that to God and, and you will feel so much uh, better if you surrender to God completely. Be actively humble. You know, I think this helps our kingdom value system. Just look in every situation. Is there a way for me to be humble? There's a lot of opportunities in marriage and parenting and relationships. Isn't there? Marrieds? You with me? There's a lot of opportunities to be humble. With coworkers, with roommates, with fellow students. There's a lot. You know, how can I be humble here? How can I be like Jesus here? Again and again, the Bible says, humble yourself and God will lift you up. Uh, clothe yourself with humility. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. It says that in several places in the Bible. I want to be somebody that God lifts up, not that God opposes. Share your faith daily, lastly. You know, like we talked about. That, that helps you to have kingdom values and kingdom perspective and, and, and not be caught up in, the, in, in this world the way the rich man was. As we take communion, I want us to think about this idea that, that Lazarus' name, God is my help. And that's really who Jesus was. He trusted in God. To where even on the cross, it says those who passed by hurled their insults at him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. Even as people were ridiculing Jesus, they couldn't deny the fact that he totally trusted God. He totally was dependent on God. And his last words were, into your hands, Father God, I commit my spirit. Let us be like Jesus. Let us have that same level of trust in God. And let's pray for communion. system, And then he, he tells this.